The series is called Unthinkable, and the title today is The Unthinkable God. My name is John, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here at Canyon Ridge, and I want to just tell you a little bit about some decisions that I've made to help you get to know me a little bit better. Sometimes people have a preconceived idea of what a pastor is or what they look like or how they should act or how they should be. And it's really interesting to hear those impressions from time to time from people, things like, oh, that has got to be the greatest job in the world because you work on Sundays, right? And that's it. And uh, you play golf the rest of the week. Um, One impression I heard from from a sixth grader was, wow, you get all that money every week that they collect? Um... And so just tell you a little bit about maybe the re- more of a real picture of what it is and what it's like. I have decided, and I love that last song. It was just awesome, Trevor. Thank you for, for leading us in that. That last song, Our God Reigns, and I just shouted out to God the different things that he reigns over in my life because I've decided that Jesus Christ would reign over me in every way. And so... Uh, he reigns over my finances. My finances are his, and I, I look at them that way. And God has first and top priority of all of my money and all of my assets and how I spend my money. He's number one over my value system. I don't subscribe to a certain value system that maybe is out there. It's Republican or Democrat or this or that. My value system is the one that I have learned from God and through the Bible and it's God first in every area of my life. That I don't put God's perspective second behind any other perspective that you may have in life. It's number one, it drives all of my values. It drives how I treat my wife and how I treat my children and how I am at home. And, you know, I occasionally swear. And, uh, and so... Uh, you know, that was brought up yesterday after dinner, and we have this big debate in our family about swearing, and, you know, is swearing a sin, and is it wrong, and why do you swear, and so on and so forth. And what we came to the conclusion was, at least I'm consistent. <laughs> I swear at home, I swear at church, and I swear in front of my friends, and I swear in front of people I don't know. And so, I am equally sinful, and if you're already offended by what I've said today, then... Um, Hopefully, by the end of this, you'll be able to get over that. I want you to see, <laughs> I want you to see that you can live your life for God and still be a normal guy. You still be a normal, regular person. That when you, if you're passionate about Jesus and passionate about faith, it doesn't make you weird. It doesn't make you off the wall or bizarre. And you know, maybe, some, maybe I am to some people, but I want you to see that I am just like you. And I struggle and I wrestle. And for me, most days, life is really hard. It's really hard. And uh, this week, especially, I'm so glad it's over. You ever have one of those weeks? You're like, oh, thank God that one is beyond me now. It's behind me. I'm looking forward to today and the beginning of a whole new week. Because last week... I can't say that word in front of you, but it was not good. And so we struggle through life and we cling to God and we ask him for help. And so this series, it's called Unthinkable because we have an unthinkable God who leads us in unthinkable ways that challenge our faith and challenge our values and challenge how we think and what we believe. 
and uh, causes us to look at life completely different. You know, every major scientific breakthrough that has ever happened has happened because somebody thought about something differently. They saw it in a different way. A lot of great and incredible inventions happened because they were looking for one thing but found something else and that something else actually was better and was worth more money, you know? Uh, And so this series, I'm hoping, will change your thinking a little bit. It'll, It'll confront you. It'll step on you. It'll crush you. It'll cause you to rethink some things. Maybe change your value system. Maybe put more trust into a God-built system of values than maybe you have already. Maybe you've adopted some values from your parents or from your political party or your education or how you were raised or your friends that you associate with or something from the culture and you've assembled a set of belief system and value about yourself. I'm hoping that this will confront that today because nothing I'm going to say today is new. It's not new. It comes from all from the Bible. And I'll be retelling old stories today that maybe you've heard before. And so this isn't just some uh, crazy revelation John's on uh, the next three weeks. This comes right out of the Bible. And I think you'll be able to see that. But you're going to be faced with a decision today, a choice, an opportunity to take a look at these things consider it for yourself, and to make a decision. I am hoping and praying there is no manipulation. I've gone before the Lord, and I've checked my own heart, and I've talked about it with my staff, and we prayed about it. said, Lord, we are not here to manipulate anyone. We're not here to even convince you. We're not here to pressure you. We're simply to present to you this unthinkable concept and let you decide. You decide what you want to do. Because you know what? At the end of the day, At the end of your days, you will stand before God. We all will. And I will someday. There are days when I wish it was sooner rather than later. But I will stand before him and I look forward to that day. I'm not afraid of death. Not at all. Not afraid of death. I'll stand before God and I look forward to that day. But you know what he's going to say to me? He's not going to say, John, uh, you know, you really had a lousy wife. And so I understand why you're so ridiculous. You know, your congregation today were just terrible. So you're excused. God will look at me on what I have done, what I have said, my choices, and I will stand in front of God completely alone, alone. There will only be one person that will come to my defense. Only one person that will speak on my behalf. Only one person that will make an argument for the worth of my whole life. And that will be Jesus Christ. And thank God he has a voice with the Father. Who I think sometimes is up there ready to give a whooping. And Jesus steps in and says, whoa, let's give him another chance. And so you you also will stand before God by yourself. And God won't accept the argument, well, my pastor was crummy. Or they didn't tell me. Or I didn't understand. You will not have those excuses because today you are here. And today you're going to hear it. You want to leave, you better do it now. unthinkable things. I've been thinking about unthinkable things this week, and I thought, you know, what if Pastor Trevor 
was a full-time professional ballet dancer. <laughs> Is that unthinkable? I don't see it. I don't see it. Um, other staff members? Impossibility. Uh, a man skydiving with no arms. Sounds fine when he jumps out, but when it comes to pulling the ripcord, not so good. Last week in Snohomish, up north, the man skydived. Both chutes failed and he hit the ground. Uh, dipping cold pizza into chocolate. Don't knock it until you've done it, folks. It is so good. How about this unthinkable thought that I would try out for the Seattle Seahawks? I went to a game one time. We got these unbelievable seats about 12 rows up. If you can imagine that, that's almost on the field. Those guys are massive, okay? You can't tell on TV because they're all pretty much the same size. But me, I was like a midget. I would be crushed and killed in the first play. Roseanne Barr climbing Mount Rainier with Ron Katie. In fact, picture that. It's unthinkable. How about that you would rob a bank to get some money or try cocaine or hire a prostitute? Unthinkable thoughts, perhaps. How about that a farmer would plant no seeds and then when harvest came, expect a great harvest? These are unthinkable thoughts, and there are many. But this series is about something that has become unthinkable to more than half of you. I can prove it with statistics. More than half of you believe what I'm about to say is unthinkable, as much as those other things that I mentioned are. It's about an unthinkable challenge that God has made to every person on the earth. Christian, non-Christian, it doesn't matter. God has made this unthinkable challenge. He's thrown it out there. And it's available to anyone. And so, my hope today is that you would consider this challenge based on three things. One, on the facts. Not emotionally. This is not a, this is not a challenge you accept emotionally. Do not accept it on an emotional basis. Base it on the facts. Number two, base it on faith. you got to have faith with this one. Believe me, God is he's stepping out there in big faith with you. And it's going to take you to step out in big faith with him. It's going to require faith. I won't lie to you. It takes big faith. And three, you need to make your decision based on the character of God. Not on your own. <laughs> you know, like myself. I don't want to base anything on my character. Because it's going to be flawed. Don't put your hope on our staff. Because they will let you down. Don't put your hope on me and my ability to be great and awesome. Because I will let you down. You put your hope on Jesus. And you put your confidence in God and His goodness and His character. And you will never be disappointed. So these three things, you understand that now? It is the facts, only the facts, and faith, and in God's character. I think if you approach everything today from that point of view, you will do just fine. As I said earlier, I'm not going to try and convince you. 
I'm not going to try to persuade you or manipulate you. I'm just going to throw it out there and let you decide and make your decision on your own. And you'll get an opportunity during the service to actually do that. Make a decision. So here it is. Just simply, here is the challenge that God issued. This is what God said. He said, are you ready? I don't think you are. I don't know if I'm ready. He said, if I give you ten apples... If I give you ten apples, if you will then turn around and give me one, and essentially take one of those apples and give it to the church, then what I will do is I will make sure that you never run out of apples. That's the challenge that God gives. I give you ten, you give me one back. And you will do more with your nine than you could have ever done with your ten. In a down economy, in a bullish stock market, oh man, do you have stocks? Well, you don't now. Was that a rough week or what? You know, I cashed out a whole bunch of stuff before I went on vacation, and whew, it was high then. Thank God. Because it crashed. I mean, it didn't crash, but I mean, it went down. Whoa, 1,300 points. In a down economy, in a bullish stock market, resources are scarce. 9.5% unemployment, an uncertain economic future for our country. Are you worried about it? I am. I'm worried about who our next president is going to be and how the Congress is going to react and how the economy is going to be and what's going to happen throughout the world and is Jesus coming next week? In all of those circumstances, even in that, God says, take 10%. You see? 10%. 10% of everything you have and give it to the church. And as a result of that, I will make sure you have no need. None. No need. Now, if we could hear your thoughts right now, wouldn't it be interesting? <laughs> I think we would hear things like, is he out of his mind? That is truly unthinkable. Is he nuts? Is he, he just wants to be rich. Is that it? John wants to be rich, make a big salary. Is he, he just wants a better church. Is that it? He just wants a bigger, nicer church. These chairs aren't good enough. No. First thought that pops in your head, right? No. Or no way. 
or if it was me, blank, no. <laughs> right? I'm hearing your thoughts. Hearing your thoughts. Why would I even make an unthinkable challenge like that? Well, it's not mine. It doesn't come from me. If you have a Bible this morning, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Malachi. It's the very last book of the Old Testament. And if you're using the Bibles in the chairs there in front of you, if you don't see one directly in front of you, look around. Somebody will see one. They'll hand you a little light blue Bible, page 574. Page 574, uh, Malachi chapter 3. And this is a book uh, written by a prophet of God. And God gave him this message to give to the nation of Israel. And a lot of messages that were given over the years were not recorded. For whatever reason, maybe it was for just those people. Maybe, I don't know. The thinking into that. But I, knew, I know this for sure. The ones that were written down and have survived thousands of years have done so for a purpose. Because the message is for more than one person. Verse 8 says this. Should people cheat God? You have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you, God? You have cheated me in tithes and offerings due to me, and therefore you are under a curse. For the whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes in the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. Everybody say windows. windows. More than one, right? Windows. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Try it. I dare you. Put me to the test. Incidentally, scholars tell us this is the only place in the entire Bible where we are given this permission. In fact, Jesus rebuked people in his day for putting God to the test in other ways. There is very narrow opportunity here. You cannot put God to the test to heal you. Don't do it. You will die. You cannot put God to the test to give you the husband you want. You will end up with a fat loser. Right? He's at one narrow place. Put me to the test with the apple thing. That's what he's saying. If you do, listen, this is what he'll do for you. Your crops will be abundant. In other words, your paycheck will be enough. I will guard them against insects and disease, PUD and Comcast. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord. Then all nations will call you blessed, and your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So let's go back and try to unpack this. He says, you're under a curse. 
Well, what does that look like in modern day terms? I think it looks like this. You argue about money all the time with your spouse. When you go to bed at night, you think about your bills. And you think about how am I going to pay those bills tomorrow? You have this constant nagging fear that somebody is after you to collect. That's the curse that he's talking about. He says, bring the whole tithe. The whole tithe. And God isn't stupid, and he can do math. Some people bring 9% and say they're tithing. They're lying. Some people bring 2% and say that's good enough. Fine, give what you want, but don't call it a tithe. Because the word tithe literally means 10%. It's one apple of 10. It's 10%. God gives you 10, you give one to the church. You see, everything comes from God. That's the underlying value system here. Is that you believe that what you have comes from God. Now, some people say, well, I earned the money. I worked hard for it. I made the right investments. That's my money. Well, that thinking is anti-biblical. James, in James 1.17, he said, whatever is good and perfect comes down from the Father above, who created the lights and the heavens. He never changes and never casts a shifting shadow. Paul took it even further in talking with Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. He says, those who are rich in this world should not be proud and not trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Is that not true? Wow. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. You see, all resources come from God. You may have your name on it, and it may be in your bank account, but everything you have, it comes from God, and He gave you the ability to get it. And so he says, quite simply, bring it to the church. It says storehouse here. It literally means church because it says, he, he says, so that my church will have bread. So God is, is God econ- economics. He says, listen, I want to have this thing called the church, which is for you. It'll help you. To advance the purposes of the kingdom of God, we launch the church. The church cannot function unless it gets one of your apples. And lest you think that we are going to get rich with all these apples, let me tell you, every year our staff goes away for a weekend or a couple days to seek God and pray and plan out the coming year. In fact, many of you already know that what I'm telling you today, you found out about in January. Do you remember? At the dinner we had, and I told you I was going to do this series. So you've known about it for a long time. You knew that because we planned it out in advance. And so we always go away for a few days and get everything planned out. Well, you know what we're doing this year? We are going camping because it's $7 a night. It's going to cost our church 
what? What was it, Matt? Like a buck fifteen a day. Not a hotel. Now, some of the staff were pretty excited about this whole camping idea. I consider that I will be homeless for three days. <laughs> Just my perspective. But the church cannot pay its bills without that 10%. It doesn't happen. And our church cannot pay its bills. It cannot. He says, you'll be blessed with everything you need. Did you notice that? Sometimes we read into things. It doesn't say with everything you want, does it? No. No. God doesn't say, I'll give you, you can have that 90%. And with that, I'll give you the Mercedes, the flat panel screen TV that you want. No, 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 no. Need. Jesus echoes this same thing. He says in uh, Matthew, I'm jumping ahead. So I'm going to, where am I? That's way ahead. I won't do it. Let me hold it. Stay there. Think. Jesus echoes that as well. And I'll get to it in a minute and show you. So here's the challenge. God says, go ahead and try this. Go ahead and do it. Test me. See if it works. Put me to the test. Figure out what you make in a month. Set aside 10% of that and then give it to the church. Well, God, there's only 9.5% unemployment and I don't have a job. It doesn't matter. It's not based on a good economy. It's not based on how things are going. It's based on God's resources. In other words, you need to trust that the challenge is real. That God isn't joking with you. He's not messing with you. He's not, oh, well, watch them do this and then not be able to pay their bills. I think the first thing we need to do is confront our negativity. Right? You be honest now with yourself. When I mentioned this, your first thought, was it positive? <laughs> was it, oh, great! Awesome! Where do I write my check? Do you take cash? Was that your response? I don't think so. Why are we negative about giving to the church? Well, maybe there's a lot of reasons for that, and we'll talk about them next week. But let me, let me tell you, God can be counted on when you're in need. There's only one amen in here on that one. You folks know that? Have you, have you felt that? God came through for you when you were in need? Second Kings chapter 4, I want to show you a couple stories about how people were in need, just like you are. Couldn't pay their bills. And God came through for them. Second Kings chapter 4. If you're looking in that Bible in the chairs in front of you, it's uh, page 221. This is a story about a poor widow. Her husband worked for the group of prophets. There were a group of prophets, about 400 of them. And they traveled around, and Elisha was their leader. And so her husband was one of those dudes, and he worked for the prophets, he helped them, and he died. Well, he ran up a bunch of credit. Great husband, right? 
ran up a bunch of credit. And so the widow comes to Elisha and says, creditors are chasing after me to take my sons and enslave them to pay back all that we owe because there's no money. And this lady is desperate. I mean, she's a widow. She, she needs those boys to, to work and to help her. This is desperate times. So Elisha says to her, go to all your friends and neighbors and borrow pots from them. And then bring those pots to your house in secret. Close the doors and windows, not, not publicly, secret. Take the little flask of oil that you have left and begin to pour it into those jugs. And so what did she do? Does anybody know what she did? She did it. That takes big faith right there. Big faith. You think about it. That takes big faith. She did it. She went around to her neighbors and said, can I borrow your pots? What do you need them for? Well, I'm doing this thing. Here. Does she collect two or three? Story says she collected as many as she could. Filled that whole house. Pots everywhere. She started pouring that oil. And then a cool thing happened. It wouldn't stop. One pot filled up. It was still pouring out. She had a little cup. Filled that whole pot. She says to her boys, give me another one. And they're filling that one. They said, give me another one. Can you imagine the excitement in that room? Oh my gosh, were there any more pots? No, mom, they're all full. And then it stopped. So this lady comes just galloping back to Elisha. Oh, you will not believe how much oil we have. And this is like gold. This is pure olive oil. I mean, this is, this is, this is cash, man. This will go at the market. He's rich. What does he say to her? I love what he says. He says, stiff all those creditors and live it up. <laughs> no, <laughs> you've read it. No, he says, okay, pay the creditors back. Get them off your back. And then you and your sons live off the rest. And that's what she did. God came through for her. I'll tell you what she did. Probably something differently that she did that you don't. She placed a demand on the character of God. She said, the prophet of God told me to do this, and so I'm going to obey that because God is good, and he's not going to tell me to do something that will hurt me. He's not going to tell me to do something that will embarrass me and humiliate me. He loves me. He's going to care for me. God's proven his goodness, his character. It's trustworthy. You can bank on it. She placed a demand by taking an action. She gathered the pots. She poured the oil. You see, faith follows an action, a step. God doesn't say, well, God, give me that extra 10% and I'll give it to you. No, that doesn't work. You have to take that step of faith. Place a demand on who he is. And he says, do that and I'll prove to you that I'm good. 
scroll down on that same chapter and you'll see verses 42 and 44 is a whole other event that takes place with Elisha. One day a man from Baal Shalashah. <laughs> nice try, huh? Brought the man of God a sack of fresh green and 20 loaves of barley bread made from the first grain of his harvest. All right, he's giving him cash, right? You understand? It's the money he had. It's his harvest. He harvested it, the very first part of it, the best. Nothing for his family, for himself. The first part, he brings it to Elisha and says, Here, here's my offering so that you can run the ministry. And Elisha says, Well, this is cool. Let's do a little miracle here to really show something to this guy. Show to prove to this guy that God honors those that give. And so this is what he does. He says, All right, take your offering here and give it to all these people for a meal. And I love the guy's response. I love it. Verse 43. What? (laughs) What? Feeding a hundred people with this? Almost like he said, are you nuts? That's unthinkable. Elisha says, well, give it to the people so they can eat and then see what the Lord does. Amen. And what does it say? Verse 44. And when they gave it to the people, there was plenty for all with what? Some left over. Isn't that how God works? That is how God works. He's an extravagant God. He's, he's an amazing God. He's like no one else in the whole universe. Jesus knew that story. He'd read it his whole life. He was with 5,000 people and this little kid shows up and he's got a lunch and he thinks, ah, yeah. I, one has come that is greater than Elisha. He fed 100. Watch this. Boom, 5,000 eat. And don't you think every one of those disciples was sitting there thinking to themselves, dang, this is not like Elisha. This is somebody else. This is, this is the Messiah. That man placed a demand on the character of God, and so did Elisha. And they saw God's character unfold right in front of them. They saw it with their own eyes. God's provision. Because he gave the best he had. He didn't bring leftovers. He didn't bring what he didn't need. He didn't bring what he didn't want. And it's so often our attitude with God is, is God, here, here's 10 bucks. You know what? I think he doesn't even care. It means nothing to him. It's an insult. You know, how you treat people when you invite them to your house says what you think of them. I really respect Rick Warren. I think he's one of the greatest pastors that lives today. Highly, highly respect him. I've never met him. But if he was coming to my house for dinner, I would not break out the hot pockets and popsicles. You're thinking, I know what you're thinking. I knew they were eating hot pockets over there. <laughs> I Even if I was broke, I would sacrifice 
and make the best I had to honor a great man. And you come to God with your tip, your token offering, your leftover. You toss it in and think you're spiritual. You think you've done something. I don't think so. It may be giving, yes. But it isn't tithing. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Say that with me. Above all else. All else. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And you, and here's the promise again, and you will have everything you need. You know what I think it means to live righteously? Live righteously with your finances. It means have a budget. It means live within your means. It means get out of debt as much as quick and as fast as possible as you can. Because those things are bondage. And those things make it very difficult to be a tither. Live righteously. Live responsibly. Live reasonably. Live smart. Put God first. Live smart. And guess what? The result will be all your needs met. Doesn't that sound great? I mean, doesn't that sound good? All your needs met. No more fear. No more up late at night. No more can't pay the bills. No more afraid of being evicted. No more pressure and fights with your spouse. The ability to be on your day off and have a hundred bucks in your pocket. And you see somebody that needs money and you give it to them and it doesn't hurt. God isn't looking for lip circus service or token respect. He's looking for our whole lives. Put your faith in God's character and in his written word. That's what I'm saying to you today. The time to give. Holy moly. Getting all worked up. The usher, I need the usher's help. I've got, I've got my own challenge I want to present to you today. And it's not just mine. I mean, it's, you know, this is all of us. And equally blame the staff on this. Or give them credit, however you see it. Just come down the front and give everybody one. This is my challenge to us. It's a four-month tithing challenge. It's based upon what I just read to you. And this is how it is. You will give 10% of all your resources, all your earnings. I'm saying sell your house and give 10%. No. Um all your resources, what you make, what you bring in, what you earn, your social security, your paycheck, whatever it may be, your investments. Take 10% and give it to the church for the next four months. September, October, November, December. Just four months. For the rest of this year, starting in September. Do that. And then... Expect in January, February, and March all of your needs to be met. And if, and listen to me, if at that end of that time frame you are worse off and your needs are not met, 
then you have mine and the whole staff's permission to never give a single cent the rest of your life. Never give to the church again. Completely absolved. And anytime anybody says about giving or bringing up money, you can just say, did the test? God failed me. Write it on there. We'll know. I'm serious. It says, I, by faith, that blank there, that's you, right? You write your name there. You know, everybody have one now? So, <clears throat> it's a pretty colorful thing. I accept the challenge to give 10% of my income to Canyon Ridge Church for the next four months, beginning September 1 through ending December 31st. We put that in there just so you wouldn't write your check to TBN. Storehouse, right? If you're a guest today and you're not a part of our church, you know what? Just take this, tuck it in your Bible and say, hey, this is cool. I'll give it to my pastor and tell him to do it. If you're absolved from anything at our church, if you don't go here, of course it doesn't apply to you. By faith, I place a demand on the character of God to provide all my needs according to His written word and trustworthy promises. The amount of money I earn monthly is blank. You write it in there. The 10% of that amount I will give to God is blank. You write that amount in there. And then some scriptures. This is between you and God. We won't collect these. We won't ask to see them. We won't ask you to show them to us. You put them wherever you need to put them in your Bible, where you pay your bills, in your car. I don't know. Whatever. It's yours. Don't fill it out now. Fill it out tonight. Tomorrow. Pray about it for a week. Pray about it for two weeks, three weeks. Get God's word on this. Study it yourself. Find out what God's saying about this. Honestly, earnestly consider it. Maybe you'll say, I'm not ready. I don't really believe in God that much yet. I'm, I'm exploring faith. Fine, no problem. That's no problem. No problem. Just set it aside. But don't cheat on it and then think it didn't work. Like I said, God's not dumb. Don't give 9% and then in six months say, oh, it didn't work. God can add. Don't give 2% and think that's good enough. It doesn't apply. He said 10%. Test me in that and you'll see your needs met. And if you don't see a difference in 2012, then you're absolved from giving. Let me end with this story of unthinkable faith. The story is found in 1 Samuel 17, page 172, and it's the story of King, or King David, but then at the time just a boy David. Very young guy, teenager probably. And uh, if you have boys, then you know this to be Michael and Marlene who have all boys like, like Joy and I do. and We really connect and they know how that is, but... Um, Bunch of boys. The youngest has no respect. Okay? The youngest gets pounded on, beat on, all the hand-me-downs. I'm the youngest. I know how it is. That's how it works. That's what was going on with David. All right? So here's the nation of Israel, and they're all assembled together to fight the Philistines. But no fighting is going on. They're at a stalemate. And the reason they're at a stalemate is because this huge guy like Conan the Barbarian, named Goliath, 
comes out every morning and taunts them and yells out, any one of you wimps come out and fight me. If you beat me, our whole army will surrender. He waits for anybody to take the challenge. And then he comes back at evening again. Hey, of you losers over there in Israel want to fight me? If you kill me, our whole army will surrender. He does this for 40 days and 40 nights. Kind of sounds familiar to something else, doesn't it? And so David's father says to him, David, take this load of fish and bread and give it to your brothers. They're at the battlefield. They need some food. So he runs up there, and he hears this going on. He says, what in the heck is going on with this, this guy out here? He's ticked off about it. So he's complaining about it. His brothers say, shut up, you runt. You can't even wear armor. What do you know? Well, it gets back to Saul. There's a dude named David out there claiming that you should be doing something about this, Saul. Saul says, yeah, well, bring him in. <laughs> Saul's the king. He comes in, and look, at, this is what David says to him. It's his response to all this is going on. Verse 32, he says, don't worry about this, Philistine. I will fight him. And listen to Saul's response. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> don't be ridiculous. Are you kidding me? There's no way you can fight this Philistine. You're a little boy, and he's been fighting in war since his youth. That is unthinkable. Then the Holy Spirit comes on Saul. The Holy Spirit starts to work and says, Saul, I'm doing something here. And so he agrees to let David do it. He gives him his armor, his sword, his helmet. It is so huge. It's so big. He's like, I can't wear this. He takes it all off. Instead, he goes down to a little crick, pulls out five smooth stones, puts them in his pocket, and takes a sling. And then by faith, by placing a demand on the character of God, whom this Philistine has defied, he goes to meet him. And I love what David says. It's so Awesome and powerful. David replies to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. The God of the armies of whom you have defied. And today the Lord will conquer you. I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of all your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescued his people, not with a sword and not with a spear. This is the Lord's battle. And he will give you to us. This kind of gets something in your gut, doesn't it? You know? You've been way too negative. 
You've been way too defeatish. You've been in fear. You've been in unbelief. And you need to look at your inability to do this and say, hey, I submit to God, not lack. Not the inability to pay my bills. I submit to God. I don't submit to you, fear. I don't submit to you, failure. I don't submit to you, inability to pay my bills. I surrender to God, and He will win this battle for me. You speak to it like David spoke to Goliath. Goliath was just a man, but he represented the threat. It was the enemy. Do you accept your enemy's defeat over you? Do you accept the sickness that you walk in? Or is God, God over your body? Is he over your finances? Maybe that's the problem. He's not. But once you invite him to be, then you have an authority. Then you have a command. And you look at your enemies and you say, I don't think so. God will give you to me. I love it that he says he didn't do it with a sword or a spear. You see, God doesn't use the things we think he should use. I think we stand and wait for a check to end up in our mailbox, you know. <laughs> That's what we can think of. But listen, God will surprise you in amazing ways. Things will come in. You had no idea that that resource was available to you. God opened that window for you. David placed a demand on the character of God. And the character of God defeated his enemy. If you accept this tithing challenge today, you will see God do something for you. I wouldn't present it to you if I didn't believe that. I wouldn't present it to you if I didn't practice it myself. To stand up here and tell you story after story how God has unbelievably provided for Joy and I when we were in desperate, desperate need. And there are hundreds of others who could stand up here with me and say, yes, we submit to God in this and He has come through for us. 